looking in Luke chapter 10, if you want to turn there this morning, Luke chapter 10. And also, in a little while, we're going to turn to Matthew 20, uh, John chapter 12. So if you want to maybe mark a place there, that we can flip to that in a little while. If you were in a class, let's think back when you were in school, college. If your teacher were to say to you, there is one thing necessary for you to pass the course. You would take out your pen and your, or your pencil and your piece of paper and you'd be listening to what that might be. Or, you know, many of us are watching the NCAA tournament right now. And let's say you're a player on one of those college teams and there's five minutes left in the game. The coach calls a timeout and you go in the huddle and the coach says, there's one thing necessary for us to win this game now. Your ears would perk up. What is that? Uh, or if a doctor, as you face an illness, and you went to the doctor, and the doctor said, there's one thing necessary that we have to do so that you might get better. You'd be very interested in what that might be. The word necessary is a very strong word. And what it literally means is indispensable. Something that is um, necessary is important. But not everything that is important is necessary. Necessary means it's indispensable. It's indispensable. Now, when the Lord, when the Lord tells us that there's one thing necessary, our ears should really perk up. What is it that the Lord says is the one thing that's necessary? And we're going to look at that this morning in the passage of Scripture we're studying here this morning. And if you turn, look at chapter, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Let's look at this scripture. Beginning in verse 38. Now it happened as they, that's Jesus and his, some of his disciples, went that he entered a certain village. And we know from other scriptures that that village is Bethany, a couple miles from Jerusalem. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So there's a woman named Martha, and we also know from Scripture that Martha has a sister named Mary, which we'll see here in this passage, and a brother named Lazarus. And they are close friends with Jesus. They have a relationship with Jesus. And it appears that the home is Martha, that Martha is the owner of the home that Jesus has now entered And we see the scene here, a short while after Jesus entered. Let's look at verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So picture the scene. Jesus has come into Martha's home. Mary is there. Jesus has has sat down somewhere. And Mary is sitting at his feet as he speaks. Now, in Scripture, that's a traditional place of discipleship at the feet. So she's listening to what Jesus has to say. And now as we go on in the passage, but, and the word but is a word of contrast. Mary's doing something, and now we're going to see what Martha's doing. But Martha was distracted. Martha was distracted. And that word, that Greek word for distracted, also means like preoccupied. Lots of thoughts on her mind. You ever been there? And she's distracted. With much service. Now, not just service, much service. Much service. And she approached him, meaning Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Therefore, tell her to help me. And so Martha has approached Jesus, and she has a bit of an an edge to her, or an attitude. And she's not really feeling appreciated, because she says to Jesus, don't you care? And it appears that she's a little bit aggravated at Mary. You know, I'm doing all this serving, Mary's just sitting there, tell her to help me. 
So she's not feeling appreciated. She's critical. She's complaining. Let's see what Jesus says. As Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. And when Jesus, when we have the double name there, Martha, Martha, the idea is that it's compa- Jesus being compassionate. He said, Martha, Martha. He says, you are worried, worried and troubled about many things. You're anxious. You're bothered by many things. And then he says, but one thing is needed. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. And Jesus says, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen, and it won't be taken away. Jesus is saying to Martha, I'm not going to tell Mary to stop doing what she's doing. It's not going to be taken away from her. And so, as we look at that passage of Scripture, I'd like to draw your attention to the word needed in verse 42. Now, that Greek word can be translated another way, not changing the meaning, but I like the way the New American Standard and the English Standard Version translate this word. And the Greek word allows this translation. And here it is. It's up there on the screen behind me. It says, but only one thing is necessary. So the word is translated instead of needed, the word necessary. Greek means it can be translated needed, necessary, same meaning. But that word necessary is a very strong word. And Mary is doing what is most necessary. What Jesus says is only one thing is necessary. And Mary's doing it. Now, Mary is in a physical position. She's seated at Jesus' feet. But this needed, this most necessary place, if you will, that's the title of the message this morning, the most necessary place, is less about a physical position than it is the position of one's heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Mary's heart, mind, soul, and spirit is in the most necessary place. And as I prayed this week and the week before, what do I was going to share here when I came up to Crossfields and share with you? The Lord laid this passage on my heart. It's a passage of scripture that has met, meant a whole lot to me as an individual. Do you have those scriptures? I mean, all scripture is so precious to us as believers. But do you have those scriptures in your life that really deepened your walk? They're like special scriptures to you where the Lord spoke to you in a very deep and intimate way. There's one like that that I have also is Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, it was when I first became a believer in reading the scriptures. I was on a Bible reading schedule. And, um, but, you know, I had, a, I had a struggle. And the struggle was with the story of Jonah and the great fish. That he was swallowed by the fish spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, and then uh, you know, he was spit up on land and went and preached in Nineveh. And I had no problem accepting the parting of the Red Sea, you know, the healing of lepers, the casting out of demons, the resurrection of Christ. But for some reason, I can't tell you why, I had a hard time early on as a believer accepting the story of Jonah and the fish. And I was on a Bible reading schedule, and I, you know, I was asking the Lord, I'm saying, Lord, why do I struggle with this? And it was that night or the next day, I forget exactly, I happened to be, happened with parentheses, quotation marks around it, in a passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 16. And the Pharisees were asking Jesus to show them a sign, a miracle, so that they might believe in him. And Jesus says it's an evil and adulterous generation that looks for a sign. But only one sign will be given you, and that is Jonah. And I'm like, whoa! That's it, Lord, I accept it all. Genesis to Revelation, I don't have to understand it all, I accept it all. And that was a defining scripture for me. Well, this is another one. It's this, this scripture and what this scripture 
communicates. That really has deepened my walk with the Lord and actually was the place from which I was led into ministry. So I thought I'd share that with you this morning. And so Mary is in the most necessary place. And that place is the place of fellowship. The essence of the most necessary place is the place of fellowship. Now, Mary and Martha both have a relationship with the Lord. And I'm not picking on Martha. This is this scene and this time of her life. But there's an important lesson for us here. They both have a relationship with the Lord. But in this particular scene, Mary is fellowshipping with the Lord. Is an intimate fellowship with the Lord where Martha is not. And for the purpose of our study this morning, I want to make a distinction between relationship and fellowship. Important distinction between relationship and fellowship. Now, relationship is talking about role distinction. That's what the word is. It describes a role distinction. So if you're married, you have a relationship with your wife or your husband. Or you're a parent, there's a relationship with a child. So there's certain types of relationships that we have. Friends, co-workers, those are relationships. Fellowship is the interaction in those relationships. Communication, listening, speaking, spending time with... And the deeper the fellowship, the more intimate the relationship. You see. I'm going to use an extreme example to make a point. Let's say, for instance, starting tomorrow morning, I got up in the morning before my wife, Mary Beth, got up. And I got dressed and I ate something and I went to work. And I stayed at work. And I came home late, and I maybe walked in. If Mary Beth was still up, I might say hi to her and then go to bed. And let's say that I did that every day. We would still be in relationship, but we wouldn't have much fellowship, would we? And then wonder if I started to call my next-door neighbor during the day, And say, hey, how's my wife Mary Beth doing? And she said, well, you know, she was out mowing the lawn today. And I was talking to her and she said X, Y, and Z. You know, they had a dialogue. And so, I wonder if I started to do that every day. Well, I wouldn't be having much fellowship with my wife, would I? I'd still be in relationship. In fact, I'd be having more fellowship with my neighbor. Well, sometimes that's the way it can be with people's relationship with Christ. They hear more about Jesus from somebody else. Okay. And now it's important, obviously, the teaching and preaching of the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if the only time someone's hearing about Jesus is from a pastor or a Bible teacher on the radio they actually have more fellowship with that person than they do with the Lord. And they're living off someone else's fellowship with the Lord. Now this place at Jesus' feet, now we're fellowshipping with the Lord this morning, don't give me your hearing the word of God. But this place is that place of one-on-one fellowship. That time alone with the Lord. And so, when we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior... We come into relationship with him. But fellowship needs to be a consistent decision to fellowship with the Lord. To spend time with the Lord. So Mary's place in this necessary place is a position of, not so much a position of the body, but the heart, the mind, the soul, and the spirit. When we see Mary in scripture... We see her three times in Scripture. And each time she's at the feet of Jesus. Interesting. 
When her brother Lazarus dies and word gets out to Jesus that Lazarus has died and Jesus is coming, Mary runs out to Jesus and falls at his feet. And she brings her grief to Jesus' feet about the loss of her brother. And we'll be turning there in a few minutes in, in John chapter 12. But the other time is six weeks, about six days before Jesus goes to the cross. Mary is at the feet of Jesus again. Anointing him with perfume, his head and his feet, and wiping her, his feet with her hair. And she brings her worship to that place. Worshiping the Lord is the place of fellowship too. So all three times we see Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. And I think the Lord is teaching us and emphasizing the importance of that. So the place, the most needed, necessary place for you and I, the place of fellowship, is that place where we are with the Lord. Not so much positional, but when our hearts and minds and soul and spirit is focused on his presence and we're fellowshipping with him. That time with your, your Bible and you're praying or you're meditating on scripture or you're walking by the way and talking with the Lord. That place. That is the place that Jesus says is most necessary. And it's so important that we take note of that. That that is the most necessary place for us to be. It was Warren Wearsby who said the most important part of the Christian life is the part only God sees. Only part is the place that God sees. Mary being at the feet of Jesus, she is in the place of our created purpose. Every man and woman was created for this, this necessary place, this place of fellowship with the Lord. Every one of us are created for that place. Think of back as the story is described in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve had sinned. You remember the story? God was walking in the garden. And Adam and Eve were hiding from him. And God called out, where are you, Adam? And Adam was hiding. And Adam replied, you know, I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? But the point here for our point this morning is that the Lord fellowshiped with Adam Every day. Sin broke the relationship and the fellowship. But we're created for that fellowship with the Lord. We're created for relationship and fellowship with the Lord. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it tells us that God placed eternity in man's heart. That means every person in the world today, believer and unbeliever has a desire for eternity placed in their heart. They may not recognize it, but there is that desire. And every man and woman looks to fill that desire, unfortunately, a lot of times in the wrong places. And they try to fill that desire with temporary things. Well, you know what? Temporary things cannot satisfy eternal desires. Only an eternal thing can satisfy an eternal desire. So, this place. Do you know heaven is a place of eternal fellowship with God? That's what heaven is. A place of eternal fellowship with God. So the most necessary place is a place of fellowship. Now, the most necessary place is also a place of sanctification. Being set apart for God. Mary is also, being the most necessary place, is also in the place of sanctification, of transformation. The intimate fellowship that she's having with the Lord. Paul says we have the mind of Christ. But we take on more of the mind of Christ as believers the more time we spend with him. Paul in in, uh, Romans 12, it's written, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind. Conform, that word conform means to be molded into a shape from an outside force. Do not be conformed to the world. Picture someone making a um, sculpture out of clay. The way they do it is they put pressure on it and mold it. And the thoughts and the perspectives of the world can mold our thinking. Pressure from the outside. The word transformed means a change from the inside out. The Greek word for transformed is also the word which we get our English word metamorphosis from. Metamorphosis describes the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. And the caterpillar doesn't have to grunt to become a butterfly. It just happens from the inside out. And the power of the word of God transforms us from the inside out. And so what are we taking into our minds? It's in the fellowship with the Lord, and of course when we hear teaching as well, that our minds are transformed, renewed. And we take on more and more the mind of Christ. We begin to think more as he thinks. Now, if you've been married for a number of years, or if you have a friend, a close friend that you've known for years, don't, and you have a close relationship, don't you start to think like them? I mean, Mary Beth knows my thoughts often before I speak them. We've been married for 25 years. We've shared a lot of times together, lots of talks together. And she knows my mind in a lot of ways. But that came from the fellowship, not the relationship. It came from deeper and deeper fellowship. And so to take on the mind of Christ, we need to spend time with him. To spend time. It's through that fellowship that we are transformed. Paul wrote this up here on the screen. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror. Now the, the word mirror there is referring to the word of God. We know that from the book of James. The glory of the Lord. The glory is the essence or character of the Lord. So in the word of the Lord we See, the character of the Lord. Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Have you ever been in the Word of God? You're spending time with the Lord. You're reading the Word of God. And the Lord brings a word of encouragement to you. I mean, speaking to something you're going through right at that time. Or conviction. Or guidance. Or reveals his compassion. You sense his compassion more of his love or his mercy. And you go, wow. He's speaking right to me right now. That's that glory. He's revealed his glory to you. And you're changed. You know why you're changed? Because even though you know he's the Lord. And you've trusted him. It's become a deeper reality to you. Because it's intimate. And you're changed. And each time that happens, you're changed. God gets bigger. You trust him more. You seek him more. And you're transformed. It happens in that place of fellowship. Not simply relationship. Fellowship. Mary, let's turn to that passage, Matthew chapter uh, 26. I'm sorry, John chapter 12. Did I tell you John 12 or Matthew 26? John 12, all right. Parallel passage in in Matthew 26. But let's go to John 12. Very first verse in John 12. 
Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, I love that, Lazarus, who has been dead, who had been dead. (laughs) He's not dead anymore. Whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointing the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. This is this man, the same Mary. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used it to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now, I want to keep, keep that thought in your mind that Jesus said she has kept this for my burial. I'm going to refer to that in a few minutes after we turn back to Luke. But here's Mary. She brings this perfume. They said it's about 300 denarii worth. 300 denarii was a, a considered the yearly wage of an average worker. And some people believe what it was was Mary's dowry. And what Mary was giving to Jesus was her best in worship. And she gave to Jesus what meant most to her in that place of fellowship. And in the account in Matthew, Matthew records that Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached, what this woman has done for me will be remembered. Now think about that. Wherever the gospel is preached, the message of salvation, and then the importance of fellowship together. Wherever the gospel is preached, what this woman has done for me will be told. The place of fellowship, the place of worship, right along with the gospel, the message of salvation. Because when you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you come into relationship with him. And then God, the Lord is calling you to deeper fellowship with him. Deeper intimacy with him. Let's go back to our Luke passage. After she wipes the hair, I mean the feet of Jesus with her hair, she will share the same fragrance on her person that Jesus now has. The place of fellowship is a place of transformation, but also of identification. People would be able to tell that Mary had been with Jesus. When Moses had gone up on the mountain to be with God, do you remember what happened to him? And when he came down, he had a glow on his face. The Israelites could tell he had been with the Lord. Even though they had relationship, Moses has had fellowship and there was a glow to him. They could tell. You can tell the difference between somebody who has the knowledge of God and someone who has been with God. A few days after Pentecost, Peter and John were preaching in the temple and the religious leaders were amazed. It tells us in Acts 4.13 that they they perceived John and Peter to be uneducated, untrained men. But they were amazed at what they were saying and it says, but they could tell that they had been with Jesus. Because they had spent time with Jesus. Boy, isn't, when, that, when do you want that said about you? When is you more about than your education? Hey, that guy's or that gal's been with Jesus. You know. A number of years ago, Vinny was at a, a conference out in California called Preach the Word. 
And he brought me back the tape series. I, I was in the ministry at the time. He brought me back the tape series. And it was a conference for pastors. And they focused on teaching and preaching the word. And they had a lot of the top speakers, uh, pastors and preachers at it. And a, a num- they did an, each of them did a number of, of messages, you know, three or four messages each. And you would recognize many of the names. I'm not going to mention the names because I'm going to make a statement and I don't want to disparage the other pastors that were there because they also had a relationship and fellowship with the Lord. But the Lord really impacted me through the teachings of one particular man. And I didn't really set out to think this through, but it just came to me. This impression came to me. As I was listening to most of the other speakers, in fact, all the other speakers but this one man, I got excited about teaching and preaching the word of God. That's good. But this one man, every time he gave his message, sometimes he gave a message and he walked away, oh, what a bunch of wonderful insights. And another time he preached a message, almost just be reading the word. But I started to notice that when he spoke, I got excited about my relationship and fellowship with the Lord. I'm going, wow. That's significantly different. Well, that man was Chuck Smith. He was giving out of his relationship and fellowship with the Lord. And that so impacted me. I said, Lord, that's what I want. Yes, I want to get across the information. Yes. But the fellowship and the relationship. Because that's what people need to see. That we've been with Jesus. Whether we're a pastor or whichever way we serve the Lord. That we've been with Jesus. So the most necessary place is the place of fellowship. It's the place of sanctification. But it's also a place that must be chosen. It's a place that must be chosen. Mary chose the place from which Christ-centered ministry flows. Whatever ministry, and life is ministry when you're a believer. Whatever ministry the Lord has given you, in your home, on your job place, in the church, it flows. It needs to flow from Christ-centered, from fellowship with the Lord. It's not an either-or thing. It's not either I fellowship or I serve. It's a matter of priority. Sitting without service is powerless. While serving without sitting is directionless and man-centered. Look at Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Tells us that Jesus went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted. And they came to him. This is the apostles. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. Notice that. What's first? So that they could be with him. Fellowship. And then he would send them out to preach. If you serve, if you're an usher, if you're a worship team member, whatever ministry the Lord has you doing, as a mom, a co-worker, he wants you to be with him first, and then he sends you out from there to minister. So it's not an either-or thing. It's a matter of priority. It's important to remember what we do with Jesus takes priority. I mean, what we do with Jesus takes priority over what we can do for him. A number of years ago, my youngest son, I have four sons, and one of them just graduated college, another two are in college. And I have a, the fourth one is um, in seventh grade. And when he was five years old, I was out raking the leaves one day. And I, I really wanted to get done, you know, wanted to get these leaves done off the yard. And I was raking the leaves onto a, a canvas to drag them down to the street. And I had, would have to do that a number of times to finish. And my son Caleb came out. And he had a, one of those little plastic rakes about this big, green one. I was trying to find it somewhere around the house. I wanted to bring it to show it to you this morning, but I couldn't find it. It was about this big. 
And he said, Dad, I want to help you rake the leaves. And he had his little old rake, and he would go down in front of me, and he would rake the leaves like this and put them onto the canvas. And there's part of me going, oh, I wish, you know, I just want to get done with raking the leaves. And this was slowing the process down a whole lot. You know, it's a little rake like this, and he's in front of me. And then the Lord convicted me. He said, why don't you enjoy your time with your son? And then he gave me a picture of this. He said, you know, he's impressing upon my heart. You know, I can just snap my fingers and get everything done. But I call people, those who believe in me, to help me carry out what it is that I want to do. I don't need it. I could do it on my own. And God could do it more effectively than using us. But he uses us and he wants to have fellowship with us as he's using us to accomplish his purposes on earth. He doesn't need us to do it. He brings us along. And fellowship and service work together, but fellowship must come first. <clears throat> There's a point, now let's focus on Martha. There's a point where Martha's service transitioned from being Christ-centered to self-centered. Look back at Luke chapter 10, if you're there, and you look verse, at verse um, 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Much serving. Not serving. Much serving. One writer put it this way. You know, Jesus was kind of saying to her, Mary, just a, Martha, just a casserole would do. You don't have to do the buffet. But there's a point where she went and it was less about Christ and more about her. Because she wasn't feeling appreciated. She was looking to be appreciated. She was critical of Mary. And, so, and she was complaining. And that doesn't come from the spirit. That comes from the flesh. Now, we can all fall into that. I'm not picking on Martha. I'm sure Martha loved the Lord, and there's times she did have fellowship with the Lord. But the Lord's wanting to get a point across to his people through his word. And sometimes we can start services more about us. It can look to be about Jesus, but it can be about us. Maybe we're looking for people's approval. Or maybe we're looking to be appreciated or noticed. Or we want to influence. Or maybe we don't want to be intimate, so we keep busy. Or maybe we're wanting to work off guilt. When the Lord's already forgiven us, but we feel we have to work something off. So Martha transitioned over that line. <clears throat> you see, it's in the place of fellowship where our motives can be checked. If we are serving and serving and serving without being in that place of fellowship, without listening to the Lord, how do we know what it is the Lord wants us to do? And what the Lord doesn't want us to do. Remember, it's much service Martha was doing. Not service, much service. Much. <clears throat> See, Mary had to say no, and this is really important for us. Mary had to say no to some things so she could say yes to the things that the Lord wanted her to do. We have to learn to say no sometimes. We have to learn to say no. We think that's a bad word as a Christian sometimes, don't we? No. Do you know that when you're not saved, our spiritual enemy, Satan, and his demons will try to do everything to keep you from coming to know Christ? It tells us in 2 Corinthians that he's blinded the mind of the unbelieving. 
so they might not see the glory of the gospel of Christ. Well, once you trust Christ as your Savior, his strategy switches. And guess what? If Jesus said one thing is most necessary, guess where he's going to try to keep you from going? He's going to keep you busy. And he'll use your flesh. You know, you want people's approval, recognition. If you're giving them that foothold, he'll even encourage you to get into ministry. He'll even use ministry to keep you from that place. Do you know the, the thing that each one of you, and I tell this to my church, the Church of Fellowship Chapel as well, the best thing for the protection of a church is for each and every one of you to deepen your intimacy with the Lord. Because you know what the Lord would love, I mean, the enemy would love? You to be serving out of your flesh, much service, get to that point where you're not feeling appreciated, you're complaining, you're looking at someone else and comparing yourself, and that's a foothold. And he'll exploit that. So he wants to keep you from that place that is most necessary. Now, I have to share this with you this morning. I have a pet peeve with the way this passage of Scripture is sometimes taught. And here it is. I've heard it taught. Well, you know, Martha is a type A personality. And Mary's a type B. It doesn't say that. We don't know that. David, King David, he was a doer, wasn't he? And in Psalm 27, 4, it says, There's one thing I've desired, one thing that I've asked the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and meditate. He wanted to spend that time with the Lord. Here's my pet peeve with it. To bring in personality types deludes what the Lord is emphasizing. He said, Mary chose it. Choice, responsibility to choose that place. Mary had insights that the apostles didn't even have. Remember I said, hold on to that thought, she anointed Jesus for burial? Well, in those days they anointed the body after death to cut down on the rate of decay, decomposition and smell. She anointed his body before. And I believe it's because she had an insight into a passage in the Psalms that the apostles did not. In Psalm 16.10, it says, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. The apostles were still up in the air as to what the crucifixion and resurrection meant at this point. But she had insights. And it is in that place of fellowship with the Lord, that most necessary place, that you get insights that you get no other place. Share this story with you as we close this morning. I am um, ministry of the Lord laid on my heart a number of years ago. And we've done it now for eight years and it's a ministry on spiritual warfare and teaching scriptural principles of spiritual warfare. And we go out to Gettysburg for a weekend. And I, I love history. I've studied history for a number of years, particularly Civil War history. And, over, and on three days during the day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we toured the battlefield. It was a three-day battle. And we, and we look at, talk about the history of the battle. And then at night, we do spiritual warfare teachings using the visuals of the physical battlefield. And as I was developing this ministry a number of years ago, I, would, I went out for a week to study out there, both scripturally and the history. And I really love history, and I, you know, there was this one particular ba- battlefield marker that was obscure. Very few people knew where it was. It was off the beaten path, and I wanted to find it. And I stay in a hotel, a motel, that is right near a railroad cut that was there during the battle. The railroad cut is in back of the hotel. And I got up one morning a little later than I wanted to get up. 
And I was so excited to get out to the battlefield, I thought in my mind, I'm going to skip my fellowship time with the Lord and do it later. And I just felt uneasy. And the Lord was kind of laying on my heart, you know, you really, I want to spend time with you. So I'm saying, ah, oh, okay. You know, so I grabbed my chair. I had a chair. I go out back of the hotel. I walked out the door. And I was going to sit along the railroad cut and just have my time with the Lord. And now, I didn't know where this marker was. And this battlefield is huge. So, as I sit down on my chair at the railroad cut, it was such that when I stood, there were trees, and I couldn't see across the railroad cut. When I sat down, I could then see across the railroad cut, and I see in the distance a marker, like in this woods. Later on that day, I went there, and it was the marker I was looking for. And the Lord impressed upon me, spend time with me, and I'll show you things you would never see otherwise. And that was one of those those wow moments. (laughs) Wow, Lord. You know, wow. And so it's the most necessary place. And you have to say no to some things to say yes to those things. Um, There's a a statue, a a granite statue of Jesus sculpted by a man named Thors Weldon. He's a Danish sculptor. And I've never seen this sculpture, but I've heard it descri- sculpture, but I've heard it described. And the sculpture is, it's done in such a way that if the statue of Jesus, if you were facing it, and it was there, and you looked at it, you couldn't see the face of Jesus. But there's a sign. It says, sit at his, next to the statue, sit at his feet, and you'll be able to see the face of Jesus. And supposedly, if you sit down at the feet of the statue... And you look up, you see the face of Jesus. He had something to say to both Martha and Mary. Mary was in the position to hear it. He has said something to say each and every day to you and I. But we need to be in the place to hear it. We need to be in that place where we're with the word of God and reading and saying, Lord, what is it that you're wanting to say to me? What does this mean, Lord? Communicating with him, praying. That's the picture of the feet, at the feet of Jesus. Him speaking to us through his word as we meditate on his word, read his word, or he brings passages to our mind. And us talking to him through prayer. We can do it sitting. I love the morning time. I think that's such an important time to start that fellowship time. It's quiet. But even during the day, a number of times, just walking by the way. Just spending that time. Lord, I want to hear from you. Lord, I want to talk to you. That's what he desires from us. And then people will start to notice we've been with Jesus. And that will have a tremendous influence. I just want to encourage you. My prayer this morning was if you're someone here this morning and you know the Lord and you're in that place, that place of fellowship, and you're connecting with what I'm saying, I just pray that you'll appreciate it even more and deepen it. If you're away from that place, that you'll come back to that place. And if you're here, this, and if you're newly saved, that you understand that that's where you need to go. And you have the pastors here at the church will talk to you and how you can develop that fellowship time, that necessary place with him, and how to go about that. And if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. You see, it starts with relationship and then into fellowship. The story I'd like to share is the story of a, a young man who was caught speeding through a neighborhood, 70, 75 miles an hour. And he was arrested, and a court date was set up for him. And as the court, uh, as the court time started... The young man is sitting there, and he sees the judge come walking in. And the judge is his father. His 
father. He's thinking in his mind, oh, I've got it made. And so the trial goes on. The police officer who arrested him speaks and, you know, other witnesses speak. And the man has his, the young man has his say. And the judge pronounces the sentence. It says guilty. And it's a $10,000 fine or a year in jail. The young man starts to blurt out, but dad, you know, young man, the judge says, in this court of law, I am not your father. I am your judge. And so it's either $10,000 or a year in jail. Well, I can't, I don't have $10,000. And the judge says, you're in jail. And just as the police officers are coming to take the young man away, the judge comes off the stand, takes off his robe, comes down next to the young man, takes out a checkbook and writes a check for $10,000 and offers it to the young man. Now that young man can take that check or he can refuse it. If he refuses the check, then he's going to go to jail for a year. If he accepts it, he's set free. And scripture tells us that every man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. So everyone ever born has sinned against God and the wages of that sin is death, eternal separation from God and hell. But scripture also says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Free gift. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins, to rise three days later from the dead, to give us eternal life. And salvation comes, redemption comes when someone trusts Christ as their Savior. And it says, confessing him as Lord. Paul wrote, if you believe in your, if you confess with mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. To receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so as we close this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. If you want to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can come up front here and we can pray with you. It's trusting him, putting your faith in him, in him alone. And one of the ways you can tell whether you're saved or not is this. If you were to die tonight, do you know that you would be with the Lord? If you don't, you need to make that decision. And if you have in your heart right now that desire, that thought, I should do this, that's the Holy Spirit. Don't refuse that prompting. And just walk forward and we can pray. And you can trust Christ as your Savior. Receive that redemption from Him. And then begin to experience the pleasure of the necessary place, of that fellowship with the Lord. So let's bow our heads. And if you want to trust Christ as your Savior this morning, if you want to walk forward and I can say a prayer with you,